Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Eric Trexler and Rachel Lyon to explore the latest in global cybersecurity news, trending topics, and industry transformation initiatives impacting governments, enterprises, and our way of life. Now, let's get to the point. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of To The Point. I'm Rachel Lyon, here as always with our most fabulous co-host, Eric Trex. Hello, Eric. Good morning, Rachel. You, you picked it up at the end there. I was like, you seem a little down today. What's going Do on? <laughs> I've only had uh, one cup of coffee. I'm, you got to have five before the it. podcast. <laughs> It's, it's been a little while. I had a vacation, so it's good to be back. Who, who do we have today, though? This is a good one. Another okay, great podcast. Another great podcast. Okay, so let me welcome to the podcast uh, forums, head of governance and trust for the Center for Cybersecurity, Daniel Dobrogolsky, close, and uh, First Point Chief Legal Officer, John Holmes. Um, welcome, welcome, both of you, to the podcast. I'm excited for today's conversation. Hey, Rachel. Hey, Eric. Um, when does Joe Rogan get here? I was told this was going to be a... <laughs> I'm as good as you get, John, but you're going to love it. Don't worry. You're, you're kind of like the Joe Rogan of the Beltway crowd? Okay. <laughs> Maybe. And, and welcome, Daniel. Excellent. Thank, thanks so much for having me. Rachel, oh. there's a reason you do the introductions always. That's hilarious. Oh. So the two of you have worked on this really awesome report um, as, as part of an initiative with the World Economic Forum, and it was the Principles for Board Governance of Cyber Risk. And I, I think we can all agree, um, wow, that's, that's a really critical topic today because the role of business leaders has uh, markedly changed, you know, in the last, you know, however many years. And uh, I guess just real quickly, uh, you know, Daniel, since you're from the World Economic Forum, do you want to give us a little bit more background on that report just for the benefit of our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. So like you said, Rachel, this, this is fundamentally a leadership issue now, right? Like cybersecurity underpins so much of what we do. Um, the You can't really talk about having a digital economy versus a regular economy, it's all digital. So from the World Economic Forum's perspective, leaders need tools to be able to understand how to get by, how to make decisions in this digital world. And one of the areas that we recognized um, probably six, eight years ago, was that corporate boards especially have a really important role to play in setting company culture and asking the right questions of executive teams uh, and just making sure that cybersecurity is a priority organization. Um, so we've developed this body of work called Cyber Risk and Corporate Governance uh, to help educate board members, to help them understand what kind of questions they need to ask. And we bring together uh, a multi-stakeholder group, people representing governments, people representing uh, businesses at all different levels from CISOs to general counsels like John to chief risk officers. Um, and we work on how to develop sort of a, um, an area of guidance, a body of education for corporate board members. So in this last iteration, uh, we wanted to have you know, uh, an opportunity to bring together best practices from around the world. So we work with the National Association of Corporate Directors in the U.S., work with the Internet Security Alliance, we work with our partner companies like Forcepoint, uh, like Swiss Re, like others, and we brought together what are their best practices on how their boards approach this issue and how leading boards can help other board members understand what cybersecurity is all about. And what we came out with was uh, a set of six pr principles that can sort of be applied globally uh, 
in order to integrate cybersecurity into the business and into, um, you know, thinking at that board level. Um, so, Daniel, you, you come up with these six principles and we'll cover them in a second. But as you were speaking, the the thought that came to my mind was, is it is it really a priority for a lot of companies out there? I, I'd love to know in your experience which, you know, what percentage of organizations, how many, what types of organizations really do care and, and what, which ones don't? Because I've run into a lot of peers in the industry. I, run, I work with a lot of organizations. I'm more on the government side these days, but global. And there are a lot that just don't think about this as a board level or a company level significant issue. Right. Well, with, with the forum, we're very much focused on, you know, crafting a better future. So the point is not so much that everyone cares now, right? It's making sure that they know what to care about in the near future. Um, not to get too much into the weeds of our kind of philosophy about this, there's a book by our chairman called The Fourth Industrial Revolution that explains that right now, everyone in the world, governments, businesses, no matter what your industry, is going through this incredible transformation. Uh, and it's all related to different types of technology that are impacting our world. So whether you think you should care about it now or not, you have to. And that's what we're trying to uh, explain with some of the work that we're doing here. So as we put together these principles for boards, as we put together uh, a lot of these other work streams around cybersecurity and other technologies, what we're doing is we're shaping the standards and the norms for the future. Uh, and yeah, so okay. you might say that some industries don't pay a lot of attention to cyber right now. And there are right. you know, a, number, a number of industries that don't, um, but they're going to have to. Mm -hmm. So we're playing ahead of the ball and we're there uh, with guidance like this for when they're ready to pick up the ball. And You're providing and the, pr the principles, the guidance, the capabilities. So there's, there's information, there's capability available when they're ready. Yeah, exactly. Let me, okay. Let, me, okay. Let, me, let me jump in, Eric. I, I think that since I'll say roughly 2015, from my from looking at this issue from the perspective of my role as a advisor to boards from a corporate right. secretarial standpoint, from a GC, vastly different landscape than it was, you know, five six years ago. You're saying evolution. Absolutely evolution, I mean, driven by terror, uh, as it should be oftentimes. Uh, but I mean, all the high profile breaches, all the NACD and other uh, World Economic Forum sessions, you don't go to one and you haven't for, for at least six years now when there's not a robust discussion around the board's responsibilities, fiduciary responsibilities, significant, you know, table stakes to participate on a public company board or any other sophisticated enterprises, you know, managing body is an understanding of the cyber risk. And if you read something like any public company's you know, disclosures, 8K, 10K stuff, Go, go, go scroll through any of them. And where it used to be a lot of conversation around what could be disruptors around their strategic plan that they've been articulated. It could be a, a, a global pandemic, for example. You don't read any of them today without a discussing cyber risk being a potential you know, existential threat to their ability to achieve their strategic business goals. So I think it's really well understood, maybe at the a higher end of the, of, the, of, the, of the food chain in terms of size of enterprise. But I think that you know that large government companies 
customers have, you know, mandates, you know, to pay close attention to this and standards are granted. When it oh, comes we'll to, get into that. Yeah. All right. But when it comes to private enterprise, you know, we don't have the same level of standardization. So, you know, what good looks like, or at least have some proxy, you know, for what good looks like, which is why this tool that NACD and World Economic Forum and, and Security Alliance produced, which is the first time I believe, Daniel, correct me, where those three, you know, you know, really influential organizations have aligned uh, to give guidance to, to private boards, what good and public boards, what good looks like in terms of it, not exactly what they're supposed to have installed in their security stack. That's not the point of this. The point of this is because it's not one answer to that question. It's going to be largely dependent on the types of threats you're facing in your type of in your organization in your industry. But but at an important at a higher level, it gives boards a playbook for what they should be paying close attention to. And if they well, are, that's paying, what I love. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I love about this. You and me both read the report. Not not you two, but like to our listeners, you've got to read the report and look yeah. at the richness of the content there. So I'd love to play a game of speculation here, which, John, I know just knowing you, you're not going to like. Daniel, you'll love this one. <laughs> Colonial Pipeline. I only look backwards, ago. never forward. <laughs> no problem. Two years ago, Colonial Pipeline. Was, you, you think their board was asking questions? We'll just I mean, pick on somebody. Look, look at looking back. I mean, based on results, you don't you think possibly not. Right. Um, well, that's the easy yeah, answer. But exactly. They, hey, what is our cyber risk posture? Right. I mean, something that easy. Do you, do, do you think they had those discussions? I think uh, from based on now, I don't, I don't work with that specific company, but based on the industry, and, and like you look speculation. at the, yeah, you look at the extractive industries um, and the sort of oil and gas industry as a whole. And historically, they haven't been asking these questions. And in fact, we've um, developed a body of work just recently. You know, look how timing works sometimes, specifically on oil and gas and helping boards in the oil and gas industries understand you. what they're. Yeah, you're welcome. Maybe, you know, maybe it would have been great if we came up with that two or three years ago, but we have yeah, it now. They probably wouldn't have been able to do anything at that point. But yeah. So if you have companies. Yeah. So if you have companies looking at what happened in Colonial Pipeline, they, they say, you know, I don't want that to happen to me. Right. What do I need to do as a board member? Well, the, the forum has guidance for them specific to their industry, uh, as well as this kind of general guidance that works for anybody. Okay, so let's move away from Colonial Pipeline because I don't want to pick on anybody. They were clearly a victim here. John, in your perspective, if you're an oil and gas company now in 2021, you're in the board meeting. How has that dialogue changed? What are they asking now compared to a year ago? Well, I mean, an example like Colonial Pipeline is a good one because these events tend to be change agents across an entire industry vertical when one of their proud, you know, uh, competitors gets targeted. Uh, you know, that does create, you know, anxiety in the boardroom and that tends to drive people towards things like what is it, what does good look like? And hence, the, you know, the, the, the product we produce to help people identify what good looks like. So I suspect um, that you know their board is demanding not just some sort of biannual, like every two or three years or four years, uh, which has been common um, in, in, since 2015 or so, uh, uh, sort of cybersecurity readout to the board and, and check that box. Uh, I think it needs to be a lot more continuous in terms of the board's evaluation questions. Um, demands in terms of uh, uh, agenda items with respect to this this type of threat. What are we doing? Have there been any breaches? Have, how have we changed our security posture in light of the ever-evolving threats? I'd like to believe 
that not only oil and gas, but every industry is, and boards are now, from a good governance standpoint, asking those questions, not every now and again, as a checkbox item um, to meet some de minimis uh, you know, regulatory uh, you know, re requirement, but more so because they know that this is table stakes to be in business. In the same way that they have to constantly be evaluating the competitive landscape and the products and the demand for those products and the financial performance and the margin, all the good things that companies have been paying close attention to as measures of goodness uh, since the dawn of time, they now have to pay attention to their cyber posture because if they're not, then they almost don't have permission to do business. I think to, to add to what John's saying too, right? What you're asking as a board is really, really important. But equally important is who you're asking. There's a lot yeah, of companies yeah. who just say, you know, the CISO gives the report and that's all I'm asking about cyber. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you need to be asking other members of the C-suite, other executives, what their what their responsibilities are in cyber, how they're how they're uh, fulfilling those responsibilities. You know, John has a great article about how to what to ask your general counsel about cyber. But boards also need to ask the, the, the CEO themselves. They need to ask yeah. chief risk officers and other people in the stack and people who run business units. What, do you, what are the cyber implications of what you're doing? Yeah, and one, of the, one, of, one of the principles that we had in the paper is in, in talking about organizational design uh, to make sure that the board is looking at organizational design. And if you find that your information security team is buried somewhere uh, in, in an administrative function and does not in like sales and marketing, <laughs> <laughs> probably not the best place. I mean, I don't, I don't want to cast this version on my sales and marketing brethren, um, but you wouldn't typically put a, a compliance function like information security. Uh, it, it, you know, it, it shouldn't be buried and, you know, under under a, some sort of extraneous type of um, you know functional remit. It really does need to be front and center in, in terms of org structure as well, such that everybody at the table, not just board members, but across the C-suite, somebody they should all have a hand and an understanding of where we're going from an infosec standpoint, what the what the what, how the threat's evolving, uh, and what we're doing to try and address that. No company's invulnerable. And we all know that uh, you, and the vulnerabilities are constantly changing. The threat you know, vectors are constantly changing and the bad guys are getting better, more well-funded, more persistent. Perfection is not available to us, which is why it's gonna be a constant evaluation and evolution. And so you're trying to keep track of what good looks like. This changing board meeting to board meeting. I always look at it as, as risk management, but, but really resilience. Right. Yeah. You know the adversary has first mover advantage. You know they only have to be successful once. You know there are no magic silver bullets or magic potions that are going to protect you. So how do you how do you make a resilient business and really address risk? And I see a lot of challenges in that. So Rachel, I'm going to keep going until you cut me off here. But John and 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 Daniel, are there any parallels? I mean, infosec, cybersecurity, the impact to the business, risk management around a cyber framework. John, you mentioned you've seen a significant increase or improvement since 2015 or, or increase in focus, maybe. Yeah. Are there any parallels if you go back over your careers or you look at, at business over the decades, over history, where business materially changed like that, that we can we can use to learn from or, or see? And, and I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what that would be. I, I'm thinking like telecommunications or, or something like that. Right. The advent of the computer which really changed the way we do business. I, I don't know though, could be the fax machine. What do you think? <laughs> uh, 
Um, yeah, I think I think I think uh, you're talking about evolutionary threat, uh, which is a little bit different than sort of business productivity uh, evolution. Well, I don't want to talk about uh, the threat. I want to talk about where a, a you know corporate business boards had to change prioritization due to market changes or or the evolution of business. Right? I mean, you guys wrote this this principles for board governments, governance, excuse me, of cyber risk. Mm-hmm. 20, 30 years ago, was someone writing something about principles for board governance of the advent of telecommunications into the business and, and, and thinking about a different way? To me, this is a major, I don't know kind that like I want to call internet, it. like the internet, right? I mean, yeah, like the internet, something like you that. fundamentally changed, yes. Yeah, I think that's right, Rachel. I would even go go further back, right? And you think about board governance is it's not like this old area of law that's been with us for thousands of years, you know. Um, but you can look back at you know, big changes in what availabilities we had. Look back at electrification, right, and the kind of things we went through. No one knew when we first started wiring houses and businesses what you'd be able to do with this stuff. Just like no one really knew what you'd be able to do when we started wiring things to the Internet, right? Um, and just like with electrification, there were excellent, you know, great results, uh, huge increases in productivity and the availability of people to work and learn and do all sorts of things. Um, there were also significant risks, like people would right. cause fires, people would die of electrocution. And we had to create systems, um, some business systems, some government, some you know interconnected ones that helped make sure these things were safe. I mean, this is where you have, if you look on a light bulb, it's like says UL listed. And this is where you have right. that coming from, right? That people were and just like dying. it's in the whole process now. Yeah. And, Dan- and Daniel, I was going to say, you're right. I was going back further as well. I kept stopping at epics in my mind. And I think, you, I think from a regulatory standpoint, you go back to 1933, 34, um, when the SEC is established and you start talking about what governance looks like and what types of reporting public co- and information public companies have to provide to the investing public. Uh, that is enforced if they misinform the investing public um, to allow them to make good investment decisions. That didn't exist prior to you know the, the you know the the, the great the Great Depression and the collapse in the 1929. And so we government did respond not swiftly. Government never responds swiftly and it's, it's rarely ahead of ahead of risk. Uh, but that was a fair response to a significant uh, you know global catastrophe resulting from in part poor information provided to the investing public. And so you get 33 and 34 Act requirements that result in what we know today as all your 8Ks, 10Ks, et cetera, um, that give investors the information they require to make good decisions about their investments. The reason I ask is at the operator level, we're still not seeing risk translate down. So, John, I'm hearing you. The boards are now talking about they're talking about it at the C level. We're seeing it in the government. I mean, you saw with uh, with with uh, Sunburst. Mm-hmm. Right. You saw massive change come out in the executive orders and what the government is focusing on. And they're at, at the senior levels. They're talking about it a lot. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At the at the operational levels, though, they're still not sure how to deal with that. They're still not organized and structured appropriately. The funding levels. Right. It's OK. So I have another priority. Number one. What do you want me to do with the 13 I have over here? It's not built into our way of doing business. And John, I think your example is really, really well, uh, re- really well positioned here as just reporting our financials are to the SEC on a quarterly basis, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. just something businesses do today because they have to. Yeah. Well, but Eric, we're not I think doing it around cyber risk. Though. Sorry, Rachel. I, 
I want to take this in a little bit of a different direction, though. And, it, okay. and I'm thinking about the Kaseya, you know, recent she was reports. not pleased we're with my direction. No, I <laughs> love your direction. But I also wonder, because you hear a lot, I, I use the term whistleblower for lack of a better term, but you're hearing about, you know, at Amazon, right? And, and recently Kaseya, that there were people at the operational level, I would say, right, raising their hands saying, you know, we're seeing what you could call, let's say, technical debt here. We're sacrificing security for the speed of getting products Agreed. out the door, allegedly. But we you know, don't so have funding. We don't have prioritization. Through. We have the wrong people. I don't have time. The business isn't enabling me. We've got great technical operators. Yes. But what do they focus on? What do they do? I've got 52 priority ones. We're not aligned is what I'm saying. Well, Top down, uh, bottom up, both. No, okay. I, I will give you that. Absolutely, we're not aligned. And, you know, and then we were we were talking before, and this is, I, I love the Pinto. I, I thought those were great cars. But, you know, this idea, right? I mean, are we getting into this, you know, pe companies are cranking out Pintos. And, you know, it's kind of like with GDPR. A lot of companies said, you know, I'm just going to wait and see with what happens. And, you know, maybe it's cheaper for me just to pay whatever happens versus actually, you know, updating my infrastructure. I mean, how do you solve for that? I mean, that's a big question, you know, and it's always about the risk calculus, right? The, the financial calculus that businesses have to go to. I mean, when does it become more advantageous for them to make those investments? And I don't know if we're there yet. Are we? I'll say this. I mean, business is not risk free. And, you know, we've spent trillions on cybersecurity. So I don't want to cast stones at anybody in particular, even those who may have been been breached, because in many instances that I can think of, not given specific names, I believe that, you know, some of the companies that have had high profile breaches have been companies that have made some of the largest, you know, as a percentage of revenue, you know, investments in their security posture. And as I mentioned before, a well-funded, uh, frequently government backed, you know, hacker who has time uh, and, and resources and the and, and the will to go get something out of your digital domain is probably going to ultimately be successful. And John, I hate to do this. I've got to correct. They absolutely will. <laughs> they go after NSA. They, they go after they can go after DHS. It doesn't matter. They will be successful in, in some ways. Uh, very Sorry. good. Uh, even, even more you know, terrifying. But, the, the, but Rachel, I, I do think you're right. You're going to make a decision on a new product introduction, for example, or a new release of a product. You are making a number of calculated decisions about the market uh, and about the efficacy of the product. And yes, about the, the security of, of that product. You, 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 there, there is some measure. It should be a stopgate in anybody's new release that they're thinking about product security. And if you're selling to the U.S. government, you have to, right? There. I mean, there are standards you have to meet. We're starting to. If you want to deal with us, this is how you're going to comply. That's right. Um, but the one that, the, the, so the new product introduction stuff that probably you are having the, be, the, the best, the benefit of, of understanding with the current threat uh, uh, environment, the, what worries me more, and maybe where the, the threat is more profound, is legacy uh, uh, hardware and, and legacy software where the source code itself that was originally written many years ago, we've just been iterating on it probably or may have, obviously it wasn't written with an eye towards five, 10 years later, if you still haven't updated right. that sort of base source code. And that's where a lot of times you, where you find the most significant, you know, vulnerabilities that you're not even aware of because you weren't even thinking about it when the original, you know, lines of code were, were created. Um, the type of threat actors that are, that are present today. Um, and so there's a constant sort of 
looking back as well as looking ahead that to try and shore up and review your code base and think about your pro your hardware vulnerabilities as well. Um, that is a, it, it, it is a really pernicious problem and a costly one that requires constant review. And, and again, I, I'll just reiterate, I don't think any product is, in, is invulnerable. They all have vulnerabilities and you realize new types of vulnerabilities constant. So it is an iterative, uh, you know, uh, constant drumbeat of review and shoring up and sending out patches and trying to make sure you're staying ahead of uh, ahead ahead of the ahead of the threat. So, can we take a segue here? We should probably cover the the six principles. I think they're outstanding, and you know, we're talking about risk and we're talking about government. But can we talk through the six principles and and why they're important? You bet. I'm I, I'm not qualified to read them out. So yeah, of course. Yeah, why don't, why don't I go through? So I think you know they're not necessarily in priority order, right? But they we try to keep some of the important ones at the top. But you know the first one we focused on was that you have to view cybersecurity as a strategic business enabler, right? So you can't just push it off to the IT department and say this is your problem and I don't want to hear about it again. And this is what we had talked about earlier, right? Where you need to have continual interaction and really think strategically about cyber, right? Like like John said, there's always going to be, you know, pluses and minuses to any uh, new product or business line or whatever it is. But you think strategically about the financials of it, boards, anyone in the business needs to think strategically about the cybersecurity implications as well. Yes. Uh, and also how better security can kind of enable you to run a better business, uh, a more resilient business, right? Like you were saying before. Um, the second one is to understand the economic drivers and impact of cyber risk, right? We've been trying to get to the quantification of cyber risk for a long time in this industry to understand, you know, what are the sort of values of, of cyber risk that we can apply? And I think when you're talking at the board level, um, we want to keep furthering that conversation. We need to be able to put like a, a price tag on some cyber risks or otherwise equate it with sort of the other economic bases that the that boards use to make their decisions. How, how do we uh, do that? Do we yeah. look at it and say, okay, if... If our systems go down, we're out of business for IT. What is it? Oh, I don't know. Ten days. Okay. Mm -hmm. How much revenue do we do over a ten-day period? And that—that's our dollar quantifiable risk or pound or, or you know, whatever your currency is. Mm -hmm. Is that the easy way to do it, or are there better ways to look at that? I think that's part of it too, right? But there's also the likelihood of whether this will happen or not, which is the difficult part, right? Understanding if we if our whole system goes down, yeah, the probability the, the probability bit of it. Like understanding what it costs us if our system goes down, you can calculate that. Understanding. I, I get back that's to Steve Grobman from McAfee. He has a probability of cyber equation. Probability equals opportunity times risk. Right. I'm going to attempt an analogy here, Eric, to answer your question. My home that I'm working from today, I've got basic ADT sort of perimeter security and a couple of security cams, and that seems sufficient for me, given the assets inside my home. And that's a calculation I've made. If somebody really wanted to get in, uh, you know, they, 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 they could, if they had the, t again, the, the, the time to, 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 to stake the house out, knowing I'm not here, knowing the dog's not here, they, they could get in. 
Okay. I'm aware of that. I'm aware of that. But I think my security posture is adequate given the assets I'm trying to protect and what I use the assets for. If I if I went out for someone, whatever reason, you, you were like, hey, Holmes, can you uh, house the Hope Diamond at your place this weekend? I would be very nervous that my security posture was uh, you know, not adequate as of that moment because the asset I was trying to protect when I structured that posture wasn't designed with respect to what I'm, I'm, I'm knowing that I'm going to become a major target because of the asset that, you know, is now within you know the, the perimeters of my of my security defense um, i think the so, important thing for me when you say that john is you've actually had that consideration that thought you've you 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 thought about what adequate protection is right. for your environment and i see that Correct. missing in most of the conversations i have with all customers they, they don't think in that manner like what is adequate what are we doing mm -hmm. how do we address risk here they don't have yeah. risk in their equation many times well, that's what this principle is about. They, they, they should. And again, there's no there's no one type of standard that says if you have this, if you're in this type of industry vertical, you would likely have this type of intellectual property or this type of uh, you know PI of your customers, et cetera. You, that, that, then that equates to this type of technology in your security stack and you should be good. It doesn't exist. That type of detailed standard doesn't exist uh, because it, it, it's just much more uh, subjective in terms of where you are and what you're trying to protect. But you should be having the conversation, and it's the board's to you know duty and management's duty now to have that robust conversation about the exact nature of their business and the risks that are likely to threaten their business. And they got to be asking the questions. They need to be having independent you know auditors come in and, and help advise them. Um, but yeah, that, that's the nature of I, I think this principle, Daniel, is that the conversation has to be happening. What's the right balance of risk? and economics uh, when we're, when we're uh, for us to be in business. I, I yeah. think one and two are in the perfect order. I, I don't know about you, Rachel, but hey, understand this is a priority for the business and then understand the drivers into the priority. Number three. Yes. Right. And I think these, the other two kind of follow as a pair, right? Where you, you have, you need to align cyber risk management with your business needs. So I think we all recognize that, you know, cybersecurity is not an end in itself. Right, it needs to serve the the wider business, uh, and then the other the the fourth one is that you need to ensure that your organizational design supports cybersecurity. So sort of the flip side of that, right? If you've aligned cybersecurity with your overall business needs, then you also need to make sure that your business is based on resilience, based on security principles. You create the right kind of cybersecurity culture. So I think those two flow together as a pair. If you do them both right, you end up with a more resilient organization. Yeah, so it's not it's not just the amount of investment you're making in third party you know vendors. It's also how are you staffing your infosec team? Um, do they have the ability to influence if they are under resourced or there's a significant risk that is not being addressed? Do they have access to the CEO and the CLO and the trust officer? Do they have the ability to influence to to course correct uh, if if those you know security professionals identify an area where they're under resourced? Could be people, could be technology. The point is they're having the conversation all the way at the audit committee and then the board level when there's decisions that have to be made. And we saw a lot of this in the government with Sunburst. They yeah. weren't organiza organizationally structured right. and focused from a perspective of even determining what was happening on the networks in many cases. And we're, and we're seeing them evolve now with enhanced logging requirements. Just store the data so we can at least go back and see what happened. So we are seeing some change here as they understand the risk and the need to 
understand when an adversary is inside their business, what that means. Okay. Yep. Yep. These are great. I mean, I, I, I couldn't argue with one of them if I tried. I think they're That's on point. They're, they're, they're outstanding from my perspective. That's good. Well, I think, you know, John, uh, you know, John can say this as well, but like we had a, a great group of very strong personalities, you know, leaders in businesses arguing about these for several months. So hopefully we got to the point where uh, they are uh, more widely acceptable. And that was the, I, 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 the, I, I, the way we work. I think it's notable that you you even invited me to the party, Daniels. I mean, I, I you, 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 I don't think that when we did these or, or World Economic Forum did their prior iteration of this back in 17, it was probably as broad uh, in terms of the participation, uh, because at this point, it's really well, much more understood that this isn't just principles that can be created by your 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 group of, of chief information security officers. At this point, you had representation and, you know, opinion and you, you invited it from like virtually across, you know, a traditional, you know, corporate C-suite. Um, which I think is, again, reflective of uh, this sort of all hands on deck, you know, uh, ethos that now is, you know, it, it pretty well understood, at least across sophisticated companies, that it, this is not just point to your IT organization or your InfoSec organization. This is sort of everyone has a hand in this and decision making spans the, the board and the C-suite at this, at this juncture. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's a good point. And like watching, just to digress a little bit, just watching the evolution of of the people who are engaged in this. Like the forum runs a multi-stakeholder process. That means we try to engage everyone who has an interest, who has a responsibility, uh, who can benefit from whatever public good that we're focused on, right? Um, and that universe has widely expanded in the three, four years since we worked on the last iteration of our uh, body of work here. So you have a lot more uh, different roles, a lot more different people, uh, geographically speaking as well, coming together to talk about these issues. So that's that's a good sign. It means that there's more yeah. people engaged. It also gets us to the sort of the next principle, right, where boards have to avail themselves of cybersecurity expertise, right? And that doesn't mean that like every board needs a cybersecurity expert. Um, I'll say that even though it kind of limits our future career opportunities. Um, so you know it must be true, right? But it means that boards need to listen to people within their organization, um, yes. other board members, people outside their organization, and kind of gather that expertise that they're concerned about. Yeah, I mean, so you'll note that we I, the, the 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 principles don't mandate or 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 strongly suggest that you are not going to be uh, using best practices if you don't have a cyber expert on your board, right. um, which is fine. I think that's that's fair for today where we stand. Although you are seeing a lot of uh, you know Fortune 100 type companies actively recruiting um, you know our peers in the industry for board representation because a lot of people are getting ahead of it and believe they do want to have that sort of specific voice on the board in the same way you had somebody with deep accounting and financial principles chairing your audit committee. And I think it's likely at the current threat uh, environment can perpetuates that you will start to see you know, cybersecurity moved away from an audit and risk committee into its own committee, just given the nature of the of the of the you know, risk to the enterprise. That's that's quite conceivable if we don't do a better job of get, you know, collectively um, you know, defending uh, business. Um, but in the near term, you, you are you are seeing a recommendation that it's not just one person. There's a risk of just having one person too, Daniel, right? Uh, who, who's your cybersecurity expert on the board? Who's you know sits in the corner? I mean, it's even better to have the entirety of your board trained up, understanding sort of the basics of where they need to be spending their time, um, you know, and, and the questions they need to be asking when it comes to cyber threat. 
I'll, I'll tell you the one that underscores this for me is when you watch congressional testimony on the Hill. Right. And, and you see some of the questions coming out at, from the members, and they, they really don't understand the space. No, they don't right, understand right. the questions. It's, it's so illuminating. Like, they just can't comprehend the questions they're being asked to ask and the responses coming back because they don't have that expertise. I, I, the military's really evolved over the last decade also. We yeah. had generals and admirals from signals, the signals branch predominantly in cyber, but they didn't know cyber. They knew radios. Mm-hmm. And, and everything was a military problem. I mean, cyber protection teams, you know, platoons, and they organize in a military structure. It's like, I don't think you quite understand this sometimes. I, I, another one where it's like, you have to have that background. Yes. But e- even you, John, right, coming up from a legal environment, you don't have a cyber background per se, or you didn't 20, 30 years ago. You no. weren't trained in it. You learned it. You now know what questions to ask. You know how to basically position questions to understand risk better because you're more informed these days, right? I think that uh, general counsels and and chief legal officers have to, to be able to meet their obligation to advise their boards about about what governance and proper governance needs to exist uh, for them to be managing the company and meeting their obligations to the shareholders. Yeah, you're absolutely right. No, I did not talk about cybersecurity in law school. I did not study cybersecurity in law school. Although in the last, you know, I'm going to go, uh, Daniel, you tell me, uh, let's, uh, I, I, within a de- last decade, for sure, you started to see a, a, a distinct, uh, you know, strain of, of legal practice, you know, around cybersecurity. And a lot of that's because we got a whole host of new laws relative to breach reporting obligations uh, and, and other, you know, GDPR and other regulatory approaches to mandating some type of data protection, um, which resulted in a, you know, what we're now calling cybersecurity law. But no, I'm not sure any. Well, when I was in law school, that was not a, you know, a, a, a course of study that one could, could, could focus on. But every board member should have a, a level of responsibility to educate themselves, I believe. Right. If no you don't know it, ask questions, learn, read, understand legal, marketing, whatever your, your discipline, your background may be. Understand the implications of InfoSec, cybersecurity, what the adversary is doing to your functional area. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. And I think that's that's true of like all leaders, but especially board members, right? Like we choose board members for their leadership ability, their experience in business and their judgment, right? And their ability, like you said, and their ability to educate themselves on these issues and read up on them quickly. And cyber is just another issue that they can apply their their discernment, their leadership ability and their ability to understand things, too. Uh, So that's what, you know, this principle is all about. And I think this also is one that's generalizable. Like you talked about, you know, people in Congress in the U.S. Um, obviously, with the forum, we work with a lot of senior leaders in government, whether it's ministers or heads of state. And all these people, they came to their job, and they, they might have had an expertise one, you know, once in the past, but they're all generalists, um, mm-hmm. and they're able to be successful because they can take in knowledge and make good decisions based on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is, you know, this report and a lot of the other work we've been doing is just another example of one thing they can take in and it will help them make better decisions. They don't know they don't have to be experts on this. Uh, they just have to take their jobs seriously and take their responsibilities seriously. That's a great point. Great point. Agreed. OK, so number six. Yeah, number six. This one's important to the forum, uh, as you can imagine, as an international uh, foundation, and that's to encourage systemic resilience, encourage collaboration. So it's just recognize that you're part of a greater whole. You improving your cybersecurity makes everyone in your industry 
and you know in your in your nation in the world as a whole more secure right because anybody can be a vector of attack to anybody else mm -hmm. and in order to do that people have to collaborate so Putting together these multi-stakeholder bodies like we do at the forum, engaging in some of these other information sharing networks, these are things we want boards to encourage. Uh, and boards, them, you know, members of boards, directors themselves are a great sort of vector for sharing information because many people sit on multiple boards. They collaborate with their other board members. Uh, they can bring good practices from one company to another. So we're trying to foster that thinking uh, through, through this last principle. Uh, I think that's another, and we've discussed this, but that's another hill to climb, I think, that could be another evolutionary step for collective security. I think right now we're relatively siloed. In law enforcement, you certainly see information sharing um, sort of uh, coalitions. Uh, you see it in some industries, uh, but not, but you don't see it in most today. Uh, today, we're, most companies are, again, operating independently when it comes to defending you know, th th their organization from, from, cyber, from cyber risk. We, we believe it would be appropriate, again, as a next evolutionary step for there be a much more of a group sourced approach to how the threats are evolving and what, we, and what is a, a working effectively uh, to defend against those types of threats. Now, there's gonna be maybe some resistance. People are worried about sharing that sort of information. So we need to foster and engender new ways of, of bringing enterprises together to allow them to, in a, in, a, in a way that's not reputationally damaging or exposing some sort of intellectual property crown jewel, that doesn't need to happen. There are there are ways, and we'll, that's maybe the subject for, for the next, a different podcast with Daniel, uh, for us to come together in, in industry verticals and other sort of co cooperative approaches to defending ourselves in a better way by sharing information. Do you think it'll happen though? I mean, at some level, don't companies say, hmm, if I'm better than my competitors, mm -hmm. that's a competitive advantage for me. I'm not going to share because I am I am the best at InfoSec in my sector. Yeah, but and, then yeah. you get hit and then your point of view changes, though, doesn't it? Right. And then you get hit by the SEC because you didn't disclose in enough time, you know, after you knew about it and, and all these other things. I don't know. That's. I don't know if you yeah. if you could be that arrogant to head Eric and yeah. still succeed in business. At, 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 at some point, it becomes so painful collectively, you know, that you're driven to so, to, to come together and 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 don't battle one another in that particular on that particular front. Um, I'll hearken to something like sometimes industries see uh, patent assertions and you get whole patent wars that arise within an industry. At some point, the cost overwhelms the benefit of trying to continue to prosecute that war and you find detente and everyone cross licenses. I think similarly, there's going to be a collective pain threshold where companies are going to say, you know what, it's better for us to cooperate on the defense and battle one another in the market. Uh, than it is to try and differentiate ourselves uh, in this particular area. Again, knowing this is table stakes, every company's got to be investing, every company's got to be trying to protect themselves as a, as a condition to being in business. This isn't maybe necessarily the area where you want to differentiate yourself. That being said, today, I think you can differentiate yourself, when, especially when it comes to product resiliency. That's not going to change, and that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about sharing intellectual property with respect to who can deliver the best product to the market that is the most cyber resilient. That's an area where you, we continue to, you know, you know, continue to, you know. Uh, uh, you can compete actively, on that. Actively compete when it comes to the best, most effective, most secure product in the market that's best for consumers. Great. 
That's where the competition should happen. I'm talking about the internal sort of cooperation and a, and a, and a shared defense strategy when it comes to the types of pernicious threat actors, Eric, that you see every day, uh, the, and you've seen for a long time in the government that are now you know, sprawling outside of government and outside of critical infrastructure and, and also you know, actively attacking the nation state attacks against private enterprises. That's where private enterprises need to take a page from government and do a better job information sharing on the defense. Right. I think, yeah, just to, to add on that, no company is strong enough to go it alone in this. Right. Um, you know, like when, if you're a hiker, you know, there's that, that saying that you don't have to be faster than the bear. You just to be faster than your slowest friend. Right. <laughs> that right. doesn't apply. Here. Um, yeah, 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 the, the bear has an appetite for everybody. OK. <laughs> and in this case, you know, collaboration among you know like-minded companies or similarly situated companies is the only way to, to get stronger. There's there's pre-competitive work that needs to be done so that everyone can be more secure and more safe from a business perspective, but also from the perspective of doing the right thing for the wider society, right? right? Yeah. Um, these are risks that spread beyond individual businesses, and we need to work together in order to, to limit their impact. And I would argue that there's no government in the world able to protect the organizations the organizations have to come together and protect themselves. The yes. U.S. government, China's probably more more capable, honestly, of protecting their their companies. Because of the nature of their world. government, yeah. Right. The nature of the government, the Great Firewall, the authoritarian, you know, society. Mm -hmm. They're probably the most capable, but even even they aren't invulnerable. Organizations do need to work together because it's not like you can call DHS and say, "Hey, I'm under attack. Stop it." That's not happening. Right. It's just not going to happen. So how do you come together? I, I do think the financial industry, from my experience anyway, is the best in the world at doing this, where they do work together. But to your point, John, they, they compete on, on the product that they put out into the market. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah and I think they, you know, on the financial industry, too, you know, they have a they've also recognize that they need to work together as a, as a group, but also with the government. So yeah, you can't call up DHS and say, please stop this. But working beforehand, you know, if we're talking about resiliency, including that as part of your planning and part of your sort of recovery plans, um, it's really important. Uh, that's a that's something that's often neglected, right? You can, I'm, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying don't work with the government, you know, Industry agency partnership is really important to the government. We haven't figured it out yet. That's got to be part of that resiliency, part of that mm -hmm. plan. Don't rely solely on the government is what I'm saying. I, 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 I like the idea of more government-private sector sort of partnership on this. Uh, it, it, that's what you'd like to see uh, continue to evolve because President Biden's ex you know, executive order on cybersecurity does have an interesting – has a number of interesting things that – and it's a good beginning. Um, so it's you know it's taken some time since we've last seen a focused executive order around cyber. But that, that one of the principles he 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 offers in here or suggests in here is some sort of uh, cybersecurity safety review board that would be a public-private partnership, which I think is a really great idea, similar to you know NACD and 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 uh, ISA and and World Economic Forum coming together to publish principles of what good looks like, constantly evolving. Good may look different, but at least that sort of government you know uh, and and private sector partnership could produce standards 
response playbooks, other things to give enterprises a good idea as to what they sh what what you know best practice looks like right. at a current moment in time. And there's lots of benefits to that. Not only is it you know better defense, but it ought to insulate those enterprises who are who are meeting the standards and following the guidelines promulgated by that organization to have better you know liability protection as and when they do get breached despite their best efforts. Yeah. That would be a great world. We're not quite there yet, but I think it would be a great world. I think it's very aspirational, John. Give Daniel another month. He'll get us there. Don't worry. We'll get there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it's, it's August, so maybe two months. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of coming up on time, but one of my favorite questions to ask, and Eric knows what this question is, but um, I would love to get the perspective from the two of you, um, you know, kind of given all this, I mean, given all the madness out there and seemingly in impossible challenges to overcome, uh, do you have optimism for the cyber path ahead? Daniel, do you want to start? Um, yeah, I'll start. I think, yeah, abs absolutely. Look, I've seen over the last you know decade or so in the space, increased cooperation, increased interest at the, at the highest levels in the topic. And I think that that's the first step toward you know having a, having an eventually more successful result in our all of our cybersecurity endeavors here. Um, so yeah, I think I see more and more people cooperating. I see more and more people having an interest in this and, and having the right kind of interest, asking the right questions. So yeah, I feel positive. It's going to be, this is something that's going to be a constant struggle, um, but I feel like we're going to get better at it and uh, sort of improve our processes and improve our ability to cooperate. You know, when I was like, when, I, when we were kids, and we, we, we my great fear, you know, was this, you know, n n you know n nuclear end, end times, yes. uh, and you know, we've managed to survive despite that being an existential threat to the world. Similarly, I mean, s cyber threats, you know, are at that same magnitude in my mind in terms of living life and and having a global economy in the way we have today, um, uh, as massive kinetic, you know, warfare type threats. Uh, at this point, it's just another massive threat that we have to evolve to uh, to, to protect ourselves as a society and understand um, that that threat is, in fact, th at that level um, and come, you know, develop tools and strategies collectively to learn how to live with that threat behind us. Okay. So a, resi a resilient society, I guess, uh, to over Require, requires constant yeah, uh, understanding and evolution. I think what I'm hearing, Rachel, is, uh, yeah, I'll compare it to food. Societies from the beginning of time up into the, maybe the last 200 years were all focused around food and just making sure we had food to eat and survive. We're not that bad. We're going in the right direction is what I'm hearing you say, Daniel and John. And uh, there's a lot of promise out there. And, and we're so much more advanced than just figuring out where the next meal is coming from. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh, the, the the desire to survive is sort of an inherent instinct, you know, and 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 and, and you know, uh, hallmarks humanity's need to constantly, you know, evolve. So I think survival definitely will drive sort of the next level of evolution. And this is a question of survival when it comes to the global economy. Yeah. Well, it really is. It's it it'll, really it'll is. be interesting to chart. You know, I was I was watching Blade Runner twenty forty nine, and I always wonder. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> You know, the decisions we're making today, right, and, you know, the choices of how we evolve and move forward, you know, uh, are, are we getting to a fork where it's, you know, the dystopian future, you know, where everything is dark and, you know, the sky is scorched or, you know, does it kind of continue to, to be sunny skies and, you know, and, and all the other good things? So it's, 
it's uh, it's an interesting time to keep track of for sure. And, and I would love to revisit this conversation and maybe see where we are in the next six months or so. <laughs> that would be great. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to focus on the sunny skies. Uh, <laughs> yeah. you got to keep a smile on your face, and you got to keep going towards that North Star. Exactly. That's right. Keep, keep getting better. Gentlemen, exactly. thank you so much for joining us today yes. for the time. We do not talk about risk enough in, in, in cyber. We just don't, and really appreciate your insight, your thoughts, and your time. You better. Exactly. Thank you so much, Eric, Rachel. Thanks for, thanks for having us. John, great to talk again. Good to see you, Daniel. Thanks, everybody. All right. Well, thanks, you guys. And, and everybody, don't forget to smash that subscription button. We're all about, you know, reaching more listeners and you get a fresh new episode every single week in your inbox. And who doesn't want to hear from from Eric, myself, John, Daniel on the regular basis. So until next time, guys, stay safe. Thanks for joining us on the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit www.forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. 